Thank you for joining us for the Local Church Podcast. At Local Church, we value each person's unique experience with faith and hope this message impacts you today. Right through the the Gospels and the New Testament, we see story after story of Jesus asking people to follow him. Follow me. Come follow me. Hey, what are you doing? Come follow me. Not to believe in him, not even to pray to him, but to follow him. An invitation of a commitment to follow Jesus. A few months ago, sitting down with a friend, Jason Ballard, after Nadi had preached at a conference. And he said, Levi, how do you make one disciple? It got me thinking. I stayed awake that night, talked to Nadi about it on the way home, chatted with him to get his thoughts, sat down with our staff. One of the longest brainstorms we had was three hours long, three three-hour video and audio recordings broken up into sessions. But that was the first of what might be upwards of 10 brainstorms. Trying to answer that question, how do you make one disciple? How do you encourage one person to make a commitment to follow Jesus? Jason Ballard asked me the question, and I'm still trying to answer it. When I was 13, in my room, in a beam above my bed that was holding up the ceiling, I put the word apprentice, and I surrounded it with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. 25 years later, it seems like I've returned to that exact same word, that apprenticeship, that coming under that teaching. The Greek word we'll talk about today is the word mathetes, which means disciple, pupil, learner, follower. That for you and I to understand that we are to come under the teaching to follow me and follow him, this man, this God, this rabbi, Jesus. That In the last few years at our church, we have been a highly relational-focused group of people. Relational discipleship, get to know one another. I'll be honest, it's been challenging in the last 18 months. The last couple of years and the pandemic that we've been living in, it's been a little tricky, but we've done it. Morning Zoom coffee sessions, late night game sessions, trying to catch up consistently with people online, meet in person when we can. Restricted in church, not restricted in church, more restrictions in church. Lots of different things trying to figure it out to keep being relational. And it's great. No discipleship, in my opinion, that's successful and healthy happens outside of relationship. You could download a sermon and enjoy it, and that's great. But there's no way you can consistently feed your faith and be discipled and trained up to follow Jesus intimately with others outside of relationship. But we want to make a a shift this year, a pivot, so to speak from relationship and into intention. That would be known as a church that's known for relational discipleship. But in addition to that, we would be a church that's known for intentional discipleship. To bring people onto a formal journey of discipleship. To walk with people, to see them impacted, changed, healthy, growing. And with that, we dive into week two of our eight-week discipleship series. And the sermon is called, Everyone is Betting on Something. In 2002, Rick Warren published a book. The book is called Purpose Driven Life. He originally wrote the book for the, the people in his church and for them alone. But it took off like a wildfire. 
and became one of the most successful books of all time. It sold upwards of 50 million copies and has been translated now into 85 different languages. He went on to have a conversation with a well-known and respected um, Bible scholar and Bible teacher by the name of John Piper. And in the interview, in the conversation, Rick Warren was asked about Jesus being the only way to the Father by John Piper. Rick paused, told a story and said this, all I know is this, we're all betting on something. And I am just betting on the fact that Jesus is telling the truth. We're all betting on something, he said. I'm just betting on the fact that I believe that Jesus is telling the truth. What a phrase. Just think about that for a moment. That we're certainly all betting on the fact that gravity works. I'm standing here and yep, it seems to be working quite nicely. I'm betting on the fact that right now, as I sit down with you in my dining room and watch this online service, that I'm betting on the structural integrity of the chair that I'm sitting on. In fact, I'm betting on the structural integrity of the marble legs that my marble table is sitting on top of, because if they don't work, it's gonna crush my leg because it's the heaviest thing I've ever lifted. I'm betting on the fact that my wife didn't poison the coffee that I'm drinking this morning. We're all betting on something, he said, on our intellect, our experiences, on our upbringing, on our ability to reason, our education, our friendship group. I tell you, one of the things we're betting on is our memory. We're betting on our truth. What a refreshing way to approach the subject of Christ. And for Rick Warren, he said, I am betting on Jesus and that what he said is true. For us here today, for me, so am I. For Nadia, for our staff leaders, our board who diligently move the church forward as a Christian, I believe you should too bet on the fact that Jesus is telling the truth. As a community of believers, it's foundational that we believe in Him, that in this life, that we believe what He said in His life, that we should spend a lifetime reading, understanding, defending, practicing, believing the words of Christ, critiquing them, trying to figure out what they mean, interpreting them as best as we can. We don't have to understand His words immediately. There are many things he said that I still rack my brain trying to figure out what he meant. We can doubt it, have trouble with it. We can struggle with it, dissect it, critique it, have all kinds of concerns with it, but we don't get to just leave it alone. We are all betting on something, he said. And as a Christian, we bet on the fact that Jesus is telling the truth. So let's keep talking about Jesus. We started last week talking about the three years that changed history. Let's keep talking. If we're going to make him the centerpiece of our faith, if he's the jewel of heaven, let's keep unpacking what he said in his life and apply it to our lives. Last week, we talked about the first century that he spoke to, the, the first century audience that he spoke to, largely Jews, encouraging them to speak outside of Jerusalem, outside of Israel, into Samaria and beyond, and to the Gentiles. But the first century Jews, they saw Jesus as a lot of things the Son of Man, the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, the sent one. But we've got to read it through the lens that he spoke to them in their time contextually for what it was for them. And for them, he was one who taught. He was one who greatly impacted. It was his immediate audience that heard. But like I said last week, of the 90 references 
that is made to Jesus personally in the four Gospels, 60 of them were under the moniker, the reference, the word, the name, the noun, rabbi. I'm not a big title guy. Like, I'm not big on titles. Couldn't care for titles. If you've got a great title, that's amazing. I'm sort of more concerned about your personality, about your character, about your interests. And I think most people are too. You know, when you ask someone what they do for a living and they tell you what they do with a big title and you still have no idea, even after they've given you the title that they're obviously very proud of. I'm not really a huge fan of those moments. I don't love titles. Uh, I think that we're a little title heavy. How many times have you asked about that job and they tell you and you still don't know, but you know that they loved saying it? In my life, I think I'm called by five names mainly, apart from the odd bud and stuff like that. Levi, dad, bro, babe, and Rev. Levi by everybody. Dad by my kids, babe by Nadia, bro by my friends. Buddy has certainly increased since being in Canada. And the Rev by the Saturday morning soulmates running crew and Chris Vandering. But by far, the one name that I am called the most is Levi. Doesn't this make sense though? It's my name. Here's what's interesting. Jesus' name is Jesus. But he was called Rabbi more than his name. They understood, his audience understood that that's who he was, that's what he was, that was what he did, he taught. It aptly described Jesus to them that he was a teacher, a rabbi. In other words, it was his clearest identity to people that he was a teacher. It was the most evident part of who he was. It feels like this is the one part of his life that we've lost. It feels like this is the one part of his life that we need to get back, that it could reframe how we think about him and how we think about following him and how we think about his life and his teaching. We talked last week about the concept of the little Christ. John Mark Comer, brilliant pastor, brilliant author, brilliant communicator, one of my favorites, in his highly regarded series called Practicing the Way, talks about the process of Jesus selecting disciples in that first century. And it is to him that we dedicate the next few minutes. In the book of Mark, there's story after story after story of Jesus asking people to follow him. And if you have a Bible, turn with me now to the book of Mark in chapter one. In verse 17 and 18, it says this, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and prayed to him. No. And at once they left their nets and lifted him up. No. And at once they left their nets and gave him their donations. No. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Mark 2.13, the next chapter says this. Once again, Jesus went out beside a, a lake and a large crowd came to follow him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in a tax, tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus said. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. Further in Mark, it says that they followed him to be 
with him. Can we forget that the, in, that the invitation of Jesus for a minute is not about prayer or worship or all these things in and of themselves, but the invitation of Jesus was followership and all these things would be a byproduct. That the, the invitation of Jesus was come and follow me, come and be my disciple. The difficulty for us in a world where many of us are not from Christian homes or even sometimes for those who are, is that the word disciple is a Christian word and it's not used in other contexts. We don't go to Starbucks and see on the menu, there's a disciple latte. We don't, we don't use that word in sports or arts. We don't use that words in politics. We very rarely come across that word outside of a Christian context. And so we project onto it our assumptions, other meanings about what we think it is. The word disciple in Greek is the word mathetes. That's going to come up on your screen right now. It means disciple, obviously. That's why. That's, that's what it's defining. Using the word you're trying to define to define it is not really helpful. It means follower, pupil, student, learner. John Mark and many scholars have come up with this word, and I referenced it last week and even today. Talking about when I was 13, I actually wrote it, maybe as a foreshadowing of 25 years later, this word apprentice. Not just to follow, but to apprentice under is to be a disciple. We've ruined the word follower. This kind of follower that we think of or to follow, I follow you, follow me, I've got followers. In fact, someone sent me a, today, sent me a, re a reference of a Joe Rogan podcast. They sent me the link. And then it was like, he said, this is the knee over toes guy. Knee over toes guy. Knee over toes. And Joe Rogan. And I was like, dude, who's the knee over toes guy? He's like, oh, bro, he's amazing. He's got a million followers on Instagram. And he went on to describe him. And I was like, oh, he must be amazing, bro, if he's got a million followers on Instagram. Sounds super legit. We have, we have, I said sarcastically, we have ruined the word follow and follower. This kind of followership that we talk about when we describe the word mathetes is an active participation in someone's life. It's a two-way relationship. From the context of the first century Jew, let's go through some teaching for the next few minutes about what it meant for them. If you're taking notes, in fact, it's going to come up on the screen. You can write down the, word, the phrase house of the book or at the time, not called House of the Book, translated that way, called Beit Sophia. And Beit Sophia was basically grade school, where you would learn uh, in the Jewish educational system, basic literacy, numeracy, and you would, by the age of 12, have memorized the five, first five books of the Bible, which is called the Torah. The first five books memorized by the age of 12, Beit Sophia, the House of the Book. This was common for... Numeracy, literacy, as I mentioned, just a, just a standard level grade school for the people of the time. And after that, at the age of 12, if you opted out, you would then, you know, or if you were cut, you would then become an apprentice of the family business. But the best would graduate into what, what was called Beit Talmud. Beit Talmud, or translated as the house of learning. House of the book into the house of learning. And you would then go on further in the, in the, in the, the stage of 12 to 14 years old, you were going further from memorizing the first five books of the Bible to memorizing the whole Old Testament, Genesis through Malachi. It was full-time. It was men only. Beit Talmud, house of learning. The goal to be a mathetes. 
But after that, there was this third phase. And if you opted out or you were cut, you would then apprentice in the family business or the best would graduate into this third phase. And in the third phase, which is the apex of the Jewish educational system, you would have an intense session with your rabbi who would grill you on perspectives, interpretations, meanings, memorizations. And if you saw that you had potential to be a rabbi, he would say, he would invite you to become his mathetes, and he would say to you, come and follow me. Come and be my disciple. Come and be my mathetes, my pupil, my learner, my follower. And if this was you at this third phase of this educational system, for those listening to Jesus teach, you would apprentice 24-7. Your classroom wouldn't be a classroom. Your classroom would be the roads. You would follow your rabbi and it would be a blessing for you to be covered in the dust of your rabbi. This was not a metaphor. This was a literal and physical thing that would happen to you as you followed your rabbi in country not paved roads in the ancient Near East in the first century. And as his sandals kicked up dust from in front of you, you would be covered. And it was a blessing to be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And this was your life from now on. Think about that for a moment in correlation to the statements that Jesus is making between the way of life for the audience at the time and for following him, not in the first century, but in the 21st. And also think for a moment that every tax collector or fisherman that we see in the Bible would have gone through Beit Sophia, maybe even Beit Talmud, but wouldn't have made it to the phase of Mathetes because if they had, they wouldn't be tax collecting or fishing. They've opted out or maybe been cut at phase one or two along the way. Maybe from as young as 12, maybe 14, maybe a little bit older. But each and every one of them has been given another chance to follow a rabbi. But more than just follow a rabbi, to, and now this is really important for us in this series, to become a rabbi. That the electrician that was following, uh, the, the apprentice that was following the electrician, the qualified electrician around my house in the renovations, his goal was not to just continue to do what the qualified electrician said, but to be an electrician one day. If you're taking notes, you can write these, these phrases down here, these points that I've got for us today. That the first goal of the first century rabbinical training, translate that into the 21st century for us today, the first goal was to be with your rabbi. That you would walk from village to village and the rabbis were older, they would move slower and the disciples of the rabbi would follow him and he would teach. He would stop and teach and he would observe the world around him and he would make allegories and picture references and, and involve the scriptures and he would, he would teach and he would have a yoke or a way of interpreting um, a hermeneutic. He would, have, he would have his way, his style, his tone, his, his intonation, his cadence and you would learn it and you would become, you would be with him to become like him. You would walk behind him and if you were lucky, you would be covered in the dust of your rabbi. The rabbi would have a yoke an understanding, as I say, an interpretation of you. This common euphemism was to be covered in the dust of your rabbi. When I was, um, when I was renovating my house, we did uh, drywall, mudding, and painting as part of the renovation process. I just recommend that you should never do mudding um, ever in your life. What a mission to mud, dry, sand, 
Madrasan, 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 then paint. Get someone else to do it. Pay someone who was good at these things to do these things. This one day I was doing it and I was sanding back the second or third layer of mud from the ceiling. And so this, the, the mud, dust, was falling on me. The dust was falling on me. I was covered in dust. Had my N95 mask on. And Nadi came home and she lost it. She just started laughing. And I wasn't quite sure what she was laughing at. I was busy working. And she comes in, she's sipping a latte, and she just cracks up, take this photo. And the photo that she took of me became this iconic renovation photo of me through that renovation period. I was covered in the dust of the drywall. That's the picture here. That to be a dusty Christian is the goal. That to be covered in the dust of your rabbi, that the supremacist wants to be qualified. He wants to learn the ways. Luke Skywalker, there's another prophesied one, with Yoda on Dagobah. You know, he's got Yoda like a backpack, flipping, he's lifting the ex-wing fighter, and he's like out of the swamp and doing, doing Yoda Jedi-like things. The goal is not just to just be with Yoda just because, the goal is to become like Yoda. The goal, the goal is to gain his skills and learn what it is to use the force, Luke. Use the force, Luke. To be with your rabbi was the first goal. The first thing was to be with him. Do everything together. Walk, teach, eat, hang. 24-7. Again, correlate this to your faith. 24-7 be with Jesus. You can be because he's made that accessible to you. Amen. The second goal, be with Jesus. Second goal, with your rabbi. Second goal was to become like your rabbi. The goal was to copy everything that they did. Dress, tone of voice, mode of teaching, method, philosophy. Essentially that you would walk and talk like your rabbi. As a youth pastor in New Zealand, uh, we, would, we would have young, young men, young women that we would disciple for Bible college internships. They would come on staff or just be leaders in the church. And some would preach and teach. And not everybody, but obviously, you know, you need, you see someone's got a teaching, preaching gift. Yeah, let's go. You know, you'd, you'd disciple them up, train them up, and they'll get up and start preaching. And at about the time when Judah Smith, who's still just a brilliant communicator, when Judah Smith was taking off, you know, when you really kind of hit that early stride where it's like he just burst onto the scene, everybody was listening to Judah Smith podcasts. Jesus says the book came out, audio book reading. He's just got such a great, great voice too. I just want to be like him, be dressed like him. He would go on to be Justin Bieber's pastor. People are just like, ah, this guy's just the greatest. The amount of times that I would say to young preachers, you need to stop listening to Judah Smith. Not because of he had bad teaching, his teaching's outstanding, but because they needed to get more voices in their head, not even to balance out their hermeneutic, but to balance out the way they sounded. Because if you listen to someone consistently, you begin to talk like them. The amount of times I've listened to like, you know, Brian Houston, praise God, Hillsong Church. The amount of times I've listened to Brian Houston sermons, so much so that I could do a whole sermon. I could do a whole sermon preaching like Brian Houston. Why? Because he's in me. I've listened to so much of his preaching. I think his teaching is outstanding. I think he's a great man. And so it's in me and it comes out of me. And the person I'd love to sound like would be like a Jensen Franklin with his with a southern accent, like just what a G. Stop listening to Judah Smith, I'd say to these guys. This is just an excellent example though, isn't it? Because basically what these guys were doing, and I don't blame them, I did the same thing and received the same advice, was they wanted to not just sound like Judah. They wanted to become like Judah. And that's a, that's a noble cause. 
our goal is to become like Jesus. And we look to heroes and mentors to find pictures of what that eternal and invisible image of Christ looks like, and that's fine. But if you're going to have anyone bouncing around in your head, have Jesus bouncing around in your head. Spend time with him so that you can become like him. And I will add, uh, listen to heaps of Judas Smith. Number three, the third goal, spend time with your rabbi, become like your rabbi. But the third goal was do what your rabbi did to become like a rabbi yourself, to have spent time with him, to have replicated his behavior and his thought process. The last thing that you would hear in the Bible, and fr- in the Bible, but, but from your rabbi at the time, would be now go and make disciples. You see this journey? I would be learning. The rabbi would say, become my mathetes. I would then follow my rabbi. Then my rabbi would say, now go and make disciples. Gather people around the teaching of this rabbi. Jesus says, come follow me. And at the end of his life, his last commissioning to us is go and make disciples of all the earth. That the first was follow him. And the second was replicate the teaching that I've given you and live your life to point people back to me. Go and make disciples. So what does this mean for us? It means that we build our lives around Jesus to be with him, to become like him. That the biggest difference is that he's not tangible, is he? He's gone. Imagine that. Imagine turning up to a country and you just blow up. You just become this just tangible force of good to impact the lives of people. And then you disappear. He's at the right hand of the Father. You know, the Bible says that it's good for me to leave. I don't have the reference here. It is good for me to leave. It's good for you that I leave. I will send power from on high, the helper. And so we spend time with him in spirit. We spend time with Jesus every day. We build our lives around him brick by brick, step by step, and inch by inch we follow him. Discipleship to the rabbi from Nazareth is not, my friends, a destination. Discipleship is a journey. And we walk it every day of our lives. To wrap up our section here on John Mark Comer's teaching, he calls these process moments versus breakthrough moments. That you read a psalm, you pray a message from the Gospels, you encounter God. The point is, is that you're there with Him building. I met with someone this morning who, who had lost 50 pounds. 50 pounds. I mean, with people who lose 10, 15 pounds, 20 pounds, 30 pounds, a lot. 50. I said, I, don't, I, said, I actually don't believe you. This guy's like 6'2", probably 200 pounds. So he weighed, at one point, he weighed 250 pounds. I said, I don't believe you. Showed me a photo. I was like, whoa. The amount of conversations I've had with people about training, weight loss, diet, muscle gain, you know, gym rats, whatever it is. The amount of times that the conversation ends up with me saying, like, how? Like, what did you do? And they're like, oh, man. One shake at a time. Abs are made in the kitchen, they say. I couldn't, I I don't, that's not my advice, but I heard it. One good decision at a time. My marriage is built on a daily routine. My marriage is built on spontaneity for sure. Ta-da, we're in Canada. But structure, daily moments. I, I go and have a date night with Nadia, not because I'm hungry, but because I want to spend time with her, but I know that that 
repetition of 52 nights a year, just her and I talking. Often I find the best conversations on date night are driving to the destination and driving back from the destination, whether it's restaurant, hanging out with people or the movies or whatever it might be, a romantic night skiing. That those moments, it's the journey, it's the conversations that are the best. I, I bought her for our 16th year wedding anniversary, which is today as I preach to you. Happy anniversary, Nadia. A, a, a cabinet was like a liquor cabinet. Well, it's not, it was like drawers and beautiful hardwood. This thing's like, it's amazing. And it's got, got our family photos on it. Like, it's just beautiful. It's got glasses in it. It's got tea towels in it. Like, it's just so nice. And she was like, oh, okay, um, I'm going to go to Montreal. I was at Saint Savoie or somewhere out in Quebec. She goes, it's got five ski fields. This place is beautiful. She says, I'm going to go, I'm going to go um, and, and pick up this, um, this thing. I was like, oh, I'll come with you. How cool is that? Like, this is great. Three or four hours together. It's you and me. Kids are at school, whatever. Let's go talk and hang and just do life to build relationship with one another. John, John 15, Jesus says, I'm the vine. I'm the true vine. Remain in me. Live. Like, live in me. Find my address. Find where I call home. Like, like let's do this life together. To live this, this way takes practice. It's practicing the presence of God. Uh, Rich Velotis in his book, The Deeply Formed Life, talks about how we can go and sit and pray and we can sit and look out the window and get distracted by things, thoughts, things that are happening outside. But he, but he wrote, Dallas Willard, maybe, I'm not sure. He said, for every thousand times I get distracted, there are a thousand opportunities to come back to Jesus. We'll talk next week about spiritual disciplines about biblical habits, practices, but that there are means to an end and the end is relationship with Jesus to become like him, to learn the teaching of our rabbi. The disciples said an interesting thing in the book of John, chapter six and verse 68, speaking to Jesus, they said, to whom shall we go? You alone hold the words of life. That the Bible says that he's the bread of life that he gave hard teaching that day. Many people walked away, but the disciples were like, you have given us answers that we never thought we would find. Jesus said in Mark 1, you have known me. If you've known me, you've known my father. That Jesus is widely respected and widely recognized as one of the greatest teachers, if not the greatest teacher to have ever lived. Many believe that, and I'm one of them. It was his teaching but it was also his life. It wasn't just what he said, it was that he wasn't a hypocrite. Don't we hate that? When, it's, when a leader just virtue signals, but you know that they don't actually believe it. They tell you to do something, but don't do it themselves, a double standard. That the way he lived echoed what he taught. Friends, the culmination of sermon two of an eight-week series on discipleship, that we would be covered in the dust of our rabbi, that we would be 21st century, dusty Christians, that we would be with him, become like him, and do what he did. But friend, if you're here, just as the disciples failed, so have we. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, just like they gave up on God, were not right with him, were outside of the system where they were training to be a rabbi, just like you and me have been given time and time again, more and more opportunities to come back to Christ. Today is another one of those. You're not right with God, not walking with Jesus. You don't know where you are in your relationship with Him. That we've drifted, fallen away, and friends, we have fallen short. That we need help, we need a Savior, 
and his name is Jesus. And he came to do just that. He came to save. Rick Warren said, all I know is this, we are all betting on something. And I'm just betting on the fact that I believe that Jesus is telling the truth. Friend, if you're here, you're betting on something too, your memory, your truth, your experience, your education, your family, your upbringing, your life, your observations. More than all of those things today, let's bet on Jesus, that he's telling the truth. And I would love to pray a simple prayer with you today to bring you into relationship with him. One prayer is the start of a long and beautiful discipleship journey, walking with Jesus to become a dusty Christian. And if you're here, you're saying, that's me, I need Jesus. Pray this prayer with me before I hand back to our hosts. And it goes like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you. I need you in my life. I ask you, forgive me of my sin. And I thank you that you do. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. Amen. Love you, church. Cannot wait for next week, week three. I'll see you there. We are so glad you joined us for the Local Church Podcast. To get connected, please follow us on social media and check out our website for groups and other ways to get involved.